Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life in Sport podcast. And we are on a Mariners tangent of of late. We've done quite a few episodes the last in about the last week or so. We've had quite a few Mariners players. Um, we've had a former coach in Laurie McKinnon. Well, we've got another former coach. His name is Phil Moss. Thank you for joining me today. And how's your day been so far? Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, great. It's a Friday, so uh, can't always good. But it's that. a Friday. Another weekend on the way. That's it. And speaking of the weekend, obviously, before we get into an interview sort of chinwag, the Mariners play Adelaide United this weekend for a, a potential home finals berth uh, to finish in second position. They've got to take that from Adelaide United, of course. Do you think they have what it takes to to win? I do, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, Cooper Stadium is well known as a, an intimidating place to go, but I, I just feel this Mariners side uh, plays without fear and, um, you know, they've got a really... Uh, gung-ho style about them. It's and, reminiscent and of the 2012-13 season team a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's right. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I still think they're building the Mariners under mm-hmm. Nick Montgomery. I don't, I don't think they're the, the finished product yet, but uh, certainly I uh, love the way they play and uh, it's great to see Monty doing, um, you know, so well as a as a young manager. And um, if, if anyone can go to Adelaide and get the result, it's uh, the Mariners in the form they're in. Oh, absolutely. And well, fingers crossed. And there's one more question I've got before we go into your, the interview type of stuff is if the Mariners qualify for the AFC Cup, do you reckon they again have what it takes to possibly win it? Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> yeah, any Anything in Asia, uh, you know, is, is really tough. Uh, you know, the, the logistics around travel and, and the thin squads that we have in the A-League, uh, you know, they've certainly got uh, what it takes to go and be competitive. And, yep. and if they get on a roll, you never know what's uh, what's possible. But uh, certainly being part of Asia, you know, I, I enjoyed being part of Asia with the Mariners every every year that I was there. And um, it's it's a wonderful competition, uh, whether it's the Champions League or, or the AFC Cup for, for a club like the Mariners to be part of. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, only one club has won it beforehand, which was um, Wanderers. So it's no easy feat for anyone that's listening. It's definitely a a whole different game changer. I was interviewing Daniel McBreen the other day and he was part of the, you know, they went over and played there two days after winning the grand final and they, they managed to get a win. <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I was on the pitch with, with Arnie that morning when we landed yep. in Korea. And, and, and um, he said that you guys just said, stretch, do whatever you want to do. Is that true? Yep. We literally yep. said, have a stretch, have a walk, a bit of a juggle. And, and then Arnie turned around and asked the players who wants to play. <laughs> um, in, in the game, put your hand up if you're right to play, and and that's how we picked the team. It was so close to the grand final, and obviously we couldn't stop uh, everyone, you know, having a little bit of a celebration after the grand final. But we had to fly out at uh, I think it was like six a.m. the next morning. Um, so when we got to Korea, it was literally, uh, you know, who who was prepared to put their hand up to play, and you know, the squad many put their the hand time up and the mindset. Sorry, how many put their hand up if you don't? Everyone. Mind Everyone, oh, that, that's amazing. That that's testament to the squad. That really is exactly. So uh, no, it was a great, great memories. Absolutely. So let's get started. Obviously, at the very beginning, where else? Obviously, you're born in England, and then you moved to Australia as a young child. Do you remember much of the UK? Well, no. I, I uh, convinced my parents to move here when I was only three months old. So um, <laughs> fair enough. I, uh, I I was. I think that's where my influencing and management skills were. They started. ten pound poms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Dad, uh, mum's Australian, so okay. uh, we went over on a on a ship to England. Um, and uh, dad's uh, brother was the ship's doctor, actually. And oh, okay. Met, met mum and thought I need to introduce you to my brother when we get to England, and the rest is history. But um, I've been back a few times, and I, I, I do love it over there. I often wonder 
where my football career might have gone had I stayed in England, but yep. um, I didn't. Whereabouts in, whereabouts in England were you born and like your family from? Uh, Dad's Mancunian, unfortunately, because okay. uh, mm-hmm. I follow Liverpool. And, oh, well, I'm uh, a massive Leeds United fan because I've got oh, family from Leeds. So yeah, definitely not a man. Definitely not a Man United fan. <laughs> no, that's right. But um, yeah, so with a fair bit of rivalry in our household, my two brothers and and Dad are all Manchester United fans. Yep. Um, but uh, I was born in London, in okay. a place called Lambeth. So um, it was uh, you know when I went back there when I was about. 10 or 11, it was a, an old rundown hospital. Um, oh, wow. With, uh, broken windows, cobwebs everywhere. But um, yeah, it was good to go back and see where uh, it all began. first entered the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and obviously, as you mentioned, you have two brothers and sports runs in your family, obviously. Your younger brother, Jonathan, ending up being a first-class cricketer. Um, so what, obviously, he's a cricketer. What got you into football? Oh, look, there's a... There's a f- uh, uh, a, a famous photo. When I say famous, famous in our family. That yep. b- before I could even walk, um, mum and dad put a football in front of me, and there's a picture of me in the backyard, in a nappy, um, yep. you know, with these bandy bandy bow legs, and uh, and a football right in front of me, and and the look in my eye um, said it all. Uh, you know, yep. I was clearly in love with the with the football uh, before I could even stand on my own two feet. So, um, I, I like muses with started. like a guitar when they're like one years old, sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, you you don't know where it starts sometimes, but then you see a photo like that, and you go, "It's it's no wonder it I chased uh, chased a round ball around for so many years." <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, and obviously, I we already just covered that. My next question was going to be, "Did you or do you follow a team in the Premier League, which is obviously Liverpool?" Um, so my next question regarding that would be, "Who was your football idol growing up?" Um, look, I'd I'd probably have to say. Craig Johnson, um, yep. you know, I, I met Jono when I was 15 um, on a schoolboys tour of England um, in the trophy room at Anfield. Oh, um, as a Liverpool a fan for yourself, that would have been like, oh, it, was, it, was it would have been amazing. It was mind-blowing. And it was a year before he ended up coming home and retiring early and surprising everyone. But we had a lot in common straight away because he's a Newcastle boy. I'm a Northern Beaches in Sydney yep. boy. Um, so we loved our loved our ocean and and the sand between our toes and surfing and things like that. So we we hit it off straight away and and since retirement, John and I have become good friends and um, you know, we we stay in touch and uh we often have good conversations. He's a he's a wonderful guy, a pioneer in a lot of ways and mm. um, you know, he was someone I really looked up to when I was a kid. That's amazing to hear. And obviously every sporting career starts with junior footy. You know, junior sport no matter what it is. And your junior sports, obviously, you said Northern Beaches was with Manly Warringah. Uh, how did that come about? Obviously, was it just because, you know, time and place and, like, location, it was just the closest team for you? And how'd that go for you? Yeah, well, bef- before that, it was Collaroy okay. Soccer Club and, and Cromer Soccer Club, and then they merged to become Cromer Collaroy Strikers, um, uh, of which I'm a life member. So, you know, I think we we need to make sure we trace it back to the very first. I was trying to find somewhere where the very first was, but it, I, I couldn't find it. So thank yeah. you for letting me know about yeah. that. So it began there. So tell me about that. Yeah, I, look, I had some wonderful coaches uh, in my really early days. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, just lacing the boots on for the school team on a on a Friday morning and, and then playing club on a, on a on a Saturday. And then when I was old enough, obviously, Moved into the rep scene at um, at Manly, which is Manly United now. It's now, but it was Manly Warringah. Was it? Right. Were they called Manly Warringah just as a to have that sort of name association with the rugby league clubs? That way, people would know. Oh, it's like for lack of a better term, reputable. Or were they trying to be their own team as well? 
Yeah, no, just their own team, and and you know we we represented because back then it was uh, different councils, yep. um, so we represented the Manly Council area and and the Warringah Council area. So, gotcha. you know that was it. But it was a very good club; it always has been. And um, you know, Collaroy and then Cromer and then Cromer Collaroy and and Manly gave me a really good um, foundation for my for my career because um, you know they did things the right way and they did what was best for players. So uh, forever grateful. Now that's amazing to hear, and obviously, um, you spent some time in the National Soccer League or the NSL, which is you could say the precursor to the A League, uh, with the Northern Spirit and among other clubs. What was it like going from uh, Manly to Northern Spirit? Um, yeah, look, it was it was great. I, I actually there was a couple of clubs in between. I went from Manly to uh, Central Coast. Uh, that's Coast right, you did, yeah. And, and then the before Coast they did. were the Mariners, that way. That's back. right. Yeah, exactly. Well, with it, Andrew Clark, right. Andrew Clark was there, Damian Brown, um, Alan Burke was our coach. Um, so some really, uh, really well-known names on on the coast. And uh, it was fantastic. Drove up there for four nights a week for training, up there for the weekend game. And um, really, th- that was where I first fell in love with Central Coast. And yeah. so to go up there to the Mariners years later was um, was a no-brainer for me. But um, there was also a club eastern suburbs that I played under Joe Watson, the former yep. late uh, Socceroo, Jinky Joe. Um, and it was from Eastern Suburbs that Arnie, um, Graham Arnold, saw me play. Um, he'd actually come along to watch um, Paul Henderson, the goalkeeper, yep. <laughs> that day. And um, Hendo was playing for Sutherland. I was playing for um, for Eastern Suburbs. And I had a couple of strikes on goal. Um, Hendo pulled off some brilliant saves. He got signed that day. And Arnie gave me a call the very next day. So that's how the whole Northern Spirit thing started. Yeah, nice. Um, and obviously... I can't go without asking about the 1997. I'm probably going to butcher the word. Is it Maccabiah or Maccabiah? Maccabiah. I've heard okay. it called Maccabiah as well. But I, Maccabiah I just didn't again. want to say it wrong. So, yeah, the 97 Maccabiah games, um, obviously, was a there was an absolute tragedy. To anyone who's listening that may not know what the Maccabiah games are, it's a sort of like the Olympic Games for the Jewish international community. Um, there's 34 events, as in sports, is what I'm what I'm led to believe from my studies and trying to research it. Um, but in 1997, it was a very uh, somber occasion. There was a massive tragedy where, honestly, just before you more or less were going to step onto the stage, it collapsed, killing and injuring a lot of people, injuring your brother in, in the process as well. Um, if you don't mind, just talk to us a little bit about, obviously, the event, the day and the repercussions and whatnot it's had for you and your family. Yeah, sure. It was, um, you know, even thinking about it now and, and hearing you talk about it, it still brings goosebumps. Um you know, it, it was one of those moments in time that is so surreal. Uh, we were making our way into the stadium for the opening ceremony. There was about 80-odd thousand people in the stadium in Tel Aviv waiting uh, to welcome us in with with all the teams from around the world. Yep. And the bridge that crossed the Yarkon River um, that would then take us into the stadium collapsed under the weight uh, of the people on it, including my brother, John, who was yep. right in the middle of the bridge and it sort of collapsed in on itself so he was at the top of the arc of the bridge if you like so it was like a trap door and he yeah. was one of the first to hit the water and um did he survive luckily i hope yeah 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 he did a uh, few few leg injuries but he was one of the lucky ones and mm. I, I know for a fact because i saw him scrambling up the bank when i when i sort of raced to to see if he was okay that he he dragged a few um people out of the water with him oh um, that's make sure they incredible were, they were safe but um we unfortunately lost four lives um yeah. through the tragedy and um you know, we, we had a very, very strong leader at the time. Ian Gray was the, the coach of the football team, um, the late, great Ian Gray, former Socceroo. Was um, Jonathan on the football team? 
No, Jonathan was playing cricket. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, because there's a lot of sports that are played in, in the in the Maccabee games. I just wasn't sure because he's a cricketer, but I'm like, you were football. I wasn't sure. Sorry, continue. Yeah. No, he was in the cricket team. I was in the, the football team. But um, yeah, it was just a really good with with Ian Gray and, and the um, chef de mission for the whole Australian team making a, a speech to us at, back at the hotel. It was just a, a great example of leadership in a crisis. Um, of course, yeah. It's, it's something and calm under pressure sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. And it really you know, it shaped my thinking around leadership and how important leadership is. And, you know, these days post football coaching, and I'm not saying that I'm not going to go back to coaching. You never know what's around the corner, but, you know, I'm a, a leadership coach at uh, NAB, the bank. And, yep. um, you know, it's, it's something I'm really passionate about because it makes such a difference to people's lives. Uh, oh, absolutely. The type of leadership around them. Which is in- incredible. It's, and also, I find that obviously I've not been through that sort of situation, but you definitely find out the, for lack of a better term, the stuff you're made of, whether you have the leadership in you or not, when those sort of situations are presented. And obviously, your brother and yourself definitely found out that you do have the leadership qualities in you. Yeah, look, I think leadership is is about the tough times. Um, you know, it's... it's uh pretty simple to stand up in front of a group when everything's going well but when when things aren't or there's a crisis or you've lost three or four games in in a row um, that's when true leadership qualities uh, shine through and you know if you if you look at Graham Arnold um, who's obviously a good mate of mine a mentor and someone I worked with last year when uh, you know just about every Socceroo fan was baying for his blood and you know it was on the brink whether we'd qualify for the World Cup he really stood up uh, he showed you know, just what a strong human being and, and leader that he is and um, and the rest is history. Oh, absolutely. And bring, bringing to the point of, of what you just said of, you know, it's it's easy to stand up when it's gone through the good times. And obviously the Mariners went through a, a few bad times. There was three years of the wooden spoon in a row. Um, and those years were really trying for obviously Mariners fans to wear your colours week in, week out, um, you know, and show up to games it really shows the, again, the character of not just leadership, but, you know, of the person, if they're willing to show that, because it's easy to wear your team's colours when they're winning and they've got grand finals, but it's even harder and, you know, to do it when they're going through a loss. So I absolutely, yeah. Yeah, look, the the, the last thing I ever wanted was to leave the Mariners. Um, mm. You know, I certainly didn't want to. I, I could see brighter times ahead. We had to go through a bit of a rebuild at the time. and you know, Every club has to, to go through that at some stage. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'd lost a lot of players in the, the January transfer window of my second season, which which didn't help results, and results weren't great. And I understand, you know, why the club decided to, to move in a different direction. But had we been able to just get through that period, I've got no doubt those wooden spoons wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have been there, but um, yeah. it's great to see that under you know Alan Stadjic in particular, um, and and now Monty that the the club's being restored to where it uh, where its rightful place is, which is which is competing every season. You know the little club that could became the little club that couldn't, and it's now becoming the little club that can again, which is uh, fantastic. Oh, absolutely, and it all ties into with leadership as well, which is kind of a underlying uh, theme to this you could say episode but obviously enough of your playing career coaching time obviously we've spoken a little bit about your coaching you started off um coaching with Manly and uh, what was that like well funnily enough and it's probably not on record but my first ever coaching gig was uh, a local Premier league side no, uh, no. called DY DY okay. Swans uh, in the Manly Ringer Premier League and Won, uh, won a trophy in my first season there and, oh, wow. and then got a, an opportunity to coach the Northern Spirit youth team. Um, just in a grand final, I was sort of helping 
around the periphery, but Ian Crook was the coach. He got signed by Newcastle United um, and had to leave the week of the grand final against Marconi. Jeez. And um, the coach at the time said, want you to take the, uh, the the first grade coach, said go and take the, the youth team for the grand final. We got spanked, I think it was 5-0 or 5-1. And um, and that day I really fell in love with coaching. Okay. Um, which so is like there, it, was, it was never like on the radar for you before that point really? But like uh, that point it was like, I want to give this a good crack? Yeah, look, it was uh, it, it was there in the mind, but it, it was whether I'd make a, a realistic fist of it or not, um, I wasn't sure. But that day I remember walking into the dressing room after the game and youth team. So it was, you know, a, a group of kids really, 17, 18, 19-year-olds. Um, and their world had collapsed because we'd just lost a grand final. We'd, we'd got beaten, well beaten, uh, 5-0 or 5-1. And I remember just saying a few words to them to try and lift their spirits. And all of a sudden, shoulders started coming back, smiles on faces. And I made them realise that that experience was actually going to make them, not break them. Um, oh, absolutely. And just seeing the change, the shift in mood, I thought, you can really have an impact as a coach and and that leadership lesson, um, obviously, that I already learnt from from the Maccabee game. So, yeah, that was a day I decided to really pursue my coaching coaching dreams and goals. Which is amazing to think about. And obviously, your time at Manly and then you headed over to the Mariners as an assistant under Graham Arnold during a very successful time with the Mariners as well. There was a grand final win and all that sort of stuff. What was it like going from... Uh, you could say the NPL sort of thing to the A League. Yeah, well, first of all, due credit to Manly United here because and Manly Ringer Association because they gave me a blank sheet of paper. Uh, yep. They said create the football department. Um, wow, we'll put you on full time, which is unheard, was unheard of back in uh, back in those days. We're talking yeah. two thousand and three, four. Yep. Um, and so we created something really special at the club and put. I was full time, and and we got a couple of other positions full time. So that gave me a chance to really sink my teeth into being a director of coaching, a first yep. grade coach make some mistakes um that were out of the out of the spotlight and and learn my trade properly um yeah. so rather than yeah. just being a, a a coach you were also a manager that's right yeah I, I ran the football department and that that was a great grounding so I'll be forever grateful to manly um for for that and then I got the opportunity after assisting Arnie with the um with the Ollie Roos in 2006 7 for the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, mm-hmm. um, I got the opportunity to go with him up to the Mariners in his first season up there. And I remember him inviting me to his unit uh, in North Sydney and and laying out a plan. And, um, you know, I, I was really excited about it. So uh, the first six weeks um, up at the Mariners, I, I sort of took the, the pre-season with Andrew Clark and John Crawley because Arnie was at the World Cup, 2010 yep. World Cup in South Africa. So, um, you know, it was a sort of uh, straight into the fire. Bit of a, uh, yeah, but, baptism of fire, you could say. Yeah, but it was fantastic. And uh, uh, and again, shows A, the trust that Arnie puts in his staff and and B, you know, it was a great um, sort of learning curve for me, stepping straight out of MPL into into A-League, helping prepare a, a squad, um, you know, for, for the season ahead. And then the three years up there with Graham were, were just incredible. 50 points plus three years in a row, two grand yeah. finals, a premiership, a grand final win. Asia um, qualifying for the, the round of 16, like that's stuff that dreams are made it's unheard of, of when, yeah. When it comes to a small club like the Mariners. Absolutely. Like, cause I'm a, I grew up on the central coast from about the age of four all the way through to now. And exactly like who would have thought that a team from the central coast could 
be representing a nation more or less over in Asia sort yeah. of thing. It's, it's And that's incredible. what we used to say to the players every time they took the pitch in the Asian Champions League. It is, you are going out there as Australia tonight. It's not yeah. just as the Mariners, you are representing the country. And you could see the players grow, you know, 10 foot tall and, and really yeah. put their best foot forward. Absolutely. And obviously you made the transition once Arnie departed into the full-time head coach, head manager role at the Mariners. How was the transition for you from assistant to head coach? Was it made a bit easier because you'd been there for a while at the time? Yeah, look, it was fantastic. And and a lot of credit to Peter Turnbull, um, who was the uh, the chairman and owner of the club at the time. Um, you know, he put the faith in me and and obviously with Arnie's backing and, and the players' uh, support as well. Um, but you could you could feel a shift straight away once you go from being the assistant and more more about being you know the the the, the friend of the players I guess and all care no responsibility to to overnight being the boss and and yeah. the chief decision maker. Um, so there was a shift in in the relationship, but um, you know I had a great relationship with the players at the time, and um, it, it remained that way until the day that I left. It um, it certainly wasn't uh, you know the fault of the dressing room or anything. It was um, I you know, had a different beliefs to the the new owner at the time, Mike Charlesworth, on, on where the club should go. And, um, you know, I, I could see the writing was on the wall because we were just letting all of our best players go, yeah. um, selling them. And, um, you know, the, the, the club, unfortunately, as a result, was going to suffer um, because of that. But, um, yeah, certainly no regrets from my point. Uh, it was a proud moment uh, being appointed uh, head coach of the Central Coast Mariners, um, something no one can ever take away from me. And particularly Absolutely at that awesome. club, I think... You know, I had a real affinity with the area, um, yep. you know, an emotional attachment to Central Coast. And, um, you know, my time at the Mariners is uh, one of the best periods of my career. Absolutely. And it, as you said, no one can take that away from you. And speaking of your time at the Mariners, who was coach's pet for like to you sort of thing? Who always like sucked up or, you know, this, that, the other? Who was coach's pet? <laughs> Oh gee, I don't know. Uh, I don't, certainly don't think I had a coach's pet, but um, you know, I, I, what what I did love was you know the way the way the senior players grabbed hold of the the young kids coming through and and yeah. and really you know led led with distinction both on and off the field um, because kids can't develop if you don't have the right senior players around them. Yeah, of course. Um, so I was really proud of the you know the likes of John Hutchinson, Nick Montgomery. Um, you know, those types of players um, at the time, um, Liam Reddy, um, you know, was up there as our, our goalkeeper. So those type of players really helped develop, you know, the likes of Anthony Caceres and, and the Bernie Abinis. Uh, Daniel McBreen, of course, was one of the senior players as well. Um, you know, they really helped bring those kids through, which ultimately made a lot of money for, for the Mariners um, with, with the um, with the sale of those players. Oh, absolutely. And, um... So the reason I ask that is because I like to ask everyone that I've had on that's a coach who was coach's pet because there's either one or two or there's, you know, not, which is pretty, it's fun to find out. And speaking of fun questions, I've got a quick fire round of just, you know, not foot, not football related, just some quick fire fun ones. First of all, Apple or Android? Apple. Oh, absolutely. Um, What's your drink of choice? Uh, Great Northern. Very nice. Uh, What's your favorite food? Spaghetti marinara. Ooh, nice. What's your favorite movie of all time? Rocky Three. Three. Okay. Very nice. Very good choice as well. It's a very good film. Uh favorite music to listen to? Johnny Farnham. Yeah, nice. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? To be able to fly. 
Yeah. I think that's every, everyone's yeah. dream at some point. Just it's to, usually fly just or to, teleport or something like that. Exactly. Just to get a, a bird's eye view of, uh, you know, the earth and life and things like that. I love being yeah. up in the air. Yeah, nice. Um, there was superpower music. Um, just trying to remember. There's one that I didn't add, but I usually always ask it. Um, one second. There's Apple Android, beer, food, movie, music, power. Um, I've asked Coach's pet. Think that's it for the quick fire questions. Oh no, so that's right. It's only a, it's a recent one I've just started, which is what's your go to canteen snack at a local football game? Oh, definitely, yeah, uh, definitely a steak, onion, and egg sam- sambo with a Coke or a Gatorade to go with it. That's <laughs> oh, that's that's taking me back to the childhood. <laughs> so obviously, you were talking about that you're part of the leadership team or head of the leadership team at NAB. Is that what you're doing these days or are you doing other things as well? Yeah, so I'm a, a leadership, executive leadership coach at NAB, um, which is a fantastic role. Really love it. Working with uh, a, a very wide variety of senior leaders, executive leaders uh, every day. Um, I also commentate the the A-League men's for and, and women's for Paramount+. Plus. Um, Are you doing any games this weekend? Yeah, I've got MacArthur and uh, Wellington tomorrow oh, night, nice. which That's is a big one. Big, it big is. game that. Uh, MacArthur trying to avoid the wooden spoon. Wellington trying to qualify for the for the final. So uh, a lot at stake. Yeah. And uh, I also have a, a radio segment on uh, Big Sports Breakfast Sky Racing uh, three times a week. So, um, and, and apart from all of that, <laughs> President of Football Coaches Australia. So, uh, yeah, wow. which I'm really proud of. That's a passion project. Um, it's something I'm really, really passionate about because like the PFA who support the players, uh, the coaches up until five years ago never had any support. So um, it's really been a, a fantastic um, collective support for coaches in Australia and help and take help, helps take coaching to a, a new professional level because, um, you know, so many people saw coaching as a, as a hobby up until, yeah. um, you know, the last sort of 10 years. So they need support. Oh, absolutely. Um, and obviously you were talking about, um, your radio show and all that sort of stuff. Um, what times can people catch you on the radio in the mornings? Big Sports Breakfast, Monday, uh, it's on Sky Racing, uh, 10.17 on the AM dial. And I'm yeah. on there uh, Monday mornings, Friday mornings and Sunday mornings. Uh, okay. around about so hopefully around football times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, got to get up early and watch the Premier League games to to give my uh, report in the mornings. But it's uh, it's good fun. Michael Clark, Laurie Daly and uh, Jared Middleton are yeah, the, nice. uh, the three hosts. Very nice. And obviously, speaking of the Premier League, Arsenal have bottled possibly one of the biggest, um, like, the, what, like a gifted season, basically. What are your thoughts on Arsenal's, you could say, even though they, they're they no longer going to win it, their season so far? Oh, look, it's it's been brilliant. Um, yep. It won't be seen as brilliant uh, by, by fans and pundits because if they don't win it, which I don't think they will now, um, you know, it'll be known as the choke, the great choke. Um, but I still think they've taken huge strides in oh, the right direction. It's a direction. successful season compared to their last season. Oh, that's right. Exactly. But uh, when you're so close, you, like, they were eight points clear yeah. uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> it's kind right? of, yeah, it's a little bit, it's um, funny to, th- it's, it, it's not funny for them, obviously, but it's kind of, as an outsider, it's a little bit, how do you manage that? But it can happen. Yeah, it can. That's right. No, I, I guess what's, come home to roost is what I feared all along. And that is the, the, the lack of experience to close the deal, if you yep. like. Um, but I think this will be a huge step forward towards achieving that. And I think yep. Arteta has shown that he can manage at the top level. Oh, absolutely. To well under Pep Guardiola. And I, I think, I think it'll only be a positive in the future when they look back on this season. Oh, absolutely. Like if, 
obviously they I don't think they'll win it either now, but if they do, it'll be next season or the season after because they really are, as you said, Arteta has proven he can do it. And with this season's experience for these players, maybe next season or the season after you can see them, you know, lift the league the league winner's uh, shield and whatnot. I've got two more questions for you. Uh, the current question is, what are your thoughts on the B-League being like coming into existence for the tiered, you know, promotion relegation system for the A-League? Yeah, the National Second Division, it's a, it's a great debate, isn't it? Um, it? It drives a lot of conversation. Look, I think it's imperative for us to have something that closes the gap between yeah. NPL and, and A-League. What what yeah. model that takes, you know, I'm still not convinced we, we've got the funding um, and the clubs can afford to pay a second tier of full-time players and coaches and, okay. and administrators. Um yeah because that's what it needs to be successful and viable. Um, but certainly I, I think the first step is uh, it, um, launching a competition around the country that closes a gap between the, the two. Um, Gives you more football then, on the weekends. Yeah, that's right. More football, more more opportunity for players, more opportunity for coaches, um, which is going to develop the game. Um, better players, better better coaches. Um, I think we're still a fair way off promotion and relegation, if I'm honest. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I love Manly United as an NPL club, but I can't picture Manly United in the A-League um, just yet um, if, if they were to go on and win it and, and get promotion, um, just from a point of view of infrastructure and, and resources and, and finances. So, yeah, I think we're a way off promotion relegation, but I am a big fan of uh, just closing the gap between the two. Yeah, absolutely. As 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 we just mentioned, it's it will close that gap. It'll bridge the between NPL and A League. And honestly, if you've got, it's going to sound weird, but like some teams may have three teams in each league. You know, example, Mariners may have a, a B League. You know, like they had Lightning back in the day. So it may go, you know, Mariners and then Lightning and then their NPL team sort of thing. And it'd be great to see all three games at the Central Coast when they have a home game, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Look, it would be, um, and that's a pipe dream. And uh, well, you never know; it might be closer than what we think. But I think the other the other ingredient to throw in the mix is the Australia Cup and what that's yeah. done, you know, to bridge the gap between uh, professional football and 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 semi professional football. And when you see clubs like Sydney United playing in the the final, yeah. um, you know, against Macarthur, it, it shows that it's we're not a million miles away, but there's still some work to do in in yeah. bridging the gap. Oh, absolutely. And my last question is, what's next for Phil Moss? <laughs> Who knows? I, I guess the thing I've learned more than anything else is never say never to anything. Yeah. So, um, you know, I miss uh, being on the grass and coaching every day. Um, you know, that's once that's in your veins, it's in your veins. And uh, I did it as a player. Um, was lucky enough to do it as a coach. I'm not doing it at the moment, but um, you never know what's around the corner. So I guess my only answer to that is never say never. <laughs> that's... That's a great answer. And I think that's a great way to end the episode and recording. So thank you very much for your time. Um, I definitely appreciate it. And I'll definitely get you on it either the end of the season or, you know, the start of the next season to do like a season recap or preview sort of thing. Get your, you could say, professional opinion of, you know, the season ahead. Yeah, no problem at all. It's been a pleasure being here and uh, keep up the great work. Life in Sport podcast. It's a, a great platform for uh, people to come and talk about what they love. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it and I appreciate your time. Take care.